Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. As believers, we should expect and desire to experience everything that Christ has for us to the fullest, regardless of your circumstances. And that sometimes can be challenging and downright exhausting if you think you have to accomplish those things in your own effort. And it's this balance of learning how to live in grace, always in faith, always expecting and keeping in mind that which Jesus paid for and who you are in Him. That's the work. The work that we are to do as Christians is to renew our mind and rest in who we are in Him. There's, and there's lots of things that we can do to facilitate that. Uh, but this living in this place, in these past couple of messages have been a little bit different than what I normally do. You know, I feel like I've just kind of been painting a picture you see yourself in it in as much as you can. I'm not really giving a lot of detail or points or really trying to make it super practical for you. I kind of just want to lay it out there and then let God pull you into the space in between of let's just go ahead and set the bar at the level of impossibility and just let the Holy Spirit fill in in between where you are and what you're looking as what could, possibly, what could be possible with life in Christ. And, and it's without being frustrated, without judging yourself, without feeling like you lack anything, you know, because there are some circles that will teach that, the same type of thing. It's like, yes, there's this life that you can have in Christ. And I'm not just talking about, you know, driving Bugattis up golden driveways into your 10,000 square foot mansions. I'm not talking about the physical carnal stuff, although I think God wants you blessed so that you can be a blessing. I'm talking more so just experiencing a quality of life in peace, freedom from temptation, always being loving and kind toward the people that are around you, being that anchor person that people can come to and they know that they can trust you, and walking in the gifts of the Spirit toward others, seeing all of that richly manifest in your life through your hands toward people because that's how Jesus lived. Jesus is like the model Christian, not to try to live up to that standard, but as an example that says, a human fully submitted to God looks like this on the planet. He was fully submitted to God, and you can be too. And so that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's like, okay, this is, this is the level of impossibility that's out there. You certainly can't do it in your own strength, but with God, all things are possible. And so I'm not trying to define what the end should look like for you. If it's, if it's gifts and walking in that kind of ministry, then, then go there. If it's being richly blessed financially to be a blessing, to just radically bless people and shift cities. And, you know, last week I shared, I, I was out in um, uh, Woodland Park teaching at Karis Bible College, and I sat in one of the first-year sessions and they, the whole student body was there, and I think it was the mayor of Woodland Park and, 
and a few other city officials, and the, the school gave the city a $250,000 check. And, and you think about that, and it's like, okay, that's pretty radical. Now, what, what, why would they do that? How could that be a blessing to them? Why in the world would you give the government more money? Sure. <laughs> but they're having water issues. They're having infrastructure issues, and their only solution was going to be to raise taxes. And they didn't say this specifically, but I'm just kind of reading between the lines. It's like the fact that they've been so blessed and be able to sow back into the, just the natural city like that affects every citizen in the, in the area. Lower taxes and better infrastructure because the kingdom of God people have been so blessed, they sow back into the infrastructure, you know? And, 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 and so I threw out this, this idea too, forgive me for repeating myself, but I'm just, again, I'm just trying to stretch our minds and our expectations out there. Let's, let's not, you know, not weird out there, but beyond our limitations. Let's take all the limits off. And I, I was watching an Elon Musk video, who's, you know, not really, not a believer, although he did say, if Jesus is into saving people, I'll be saved. Does that mean he's born again? Probably not. I don't think it quite works that way, but he's open. That's a start. I'm hopeful. What if that guy got saved? So yeah, he said, he said you know, we, we could power all of Amer uh, the U.S., the United States, uh, with about 150 square kilometers of solar panels. And he just said it as if it's just like, yeah, we, we could do that. And that's a possibility. I don't have no idea how much it would take. But, you know, we print probably more and it just disappears into thin air than it would take to actually facilitate building something like that. What if kingdom people got together and built a solar farm that provided free energy to the entire country? Well, see, that's where we go. And I'm not, I'm not calling you out, but because that's a real reality. He, he said they would all mysteriously die the next day. And that sounds reasonable, right? I'm, gonna, I'm not picking on you, but I'm just saying that is where we go with it because that's carnal-mindedness. Carnal-mindedness just expects death. I'm not picking on you. I walked into it. You walked and you set, you set yourself up, but you're a big boy. You can handle it. We're all good. But think about it because that, that is where we go. It's like... Well, the special interests and the elite and the globalists and the people that are backing them. This is why it won't work. What if it did work? Just a, and that's about as basic of an idea as you can imagine, doing something physical that benefits people, like free water or whatever. You know what I mean? Just something radical. And I gave the example. There was a church up in Michigan, big church. They had an agreement with the local power company that uh, in the winter months, that if any account was going to be shut down because of lack of payment, this church had an agreement, contact us and we'll just go ahead and pay it out of our account. That church ensured in their area code, their zip code, that nobody's power got cut off in the winter months. That's the kind of stuff that is possible for us. So instantly we flip into the carnal thinking in terms of, well, it's going to cost this much money, and how can I make this much money to be able to do that? And if I had all the money in the world, sure, I'd do all that stuff. Now, that's not going to solve the world's problems. 
you know, benevolence and loving kindness is not going to affect the righteousness of people's mindsets. But do you know how many people are in a life of crime and all the stuff that we see in the poorer areas is driven because of lack of finances and, and all that stuff, you know? So again, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to even, even increase even my own thinking in terms of, so a big idea like that, that is just kind of a, a real, actually a realistic idea, forget all the whatabouts and the why it wouldn't works. That's just a physical thing that could happen that could change this nation and even the entire world. It, it's very possible. So let's think on that scale because when you're thinking along those lines, I think we're going to be led by the Spirit in how to maneuver in find our, and find ourselves in situations like that. Are, you, you know what I'm saying? I just think that the, you know, God will lead us into the fulfillment of the desires of our heart. And if we're thinking spiritually about money and provision along the way, you're not, you're not limited by earning potential. You're focused on God is my provider. Yes. Now, yeah, you know, those that don't work, don't get to eat. I mean, there are biblical principles, but it's like, let's just start thinking spiritually about what's possible and let's just push it out there. And when the questions come up, well, I prayed and this didn't happen. Well, I don't know. I think I'm not sure God's doing that anymore. It's like, no, just, just imagine heaven. That's God's will. What God wants is perfection in the garden. That was His will. Perfection in heaven. That's His will. Everything in between is a mixture of God's will and our will. This world is broken not because God wants it to be. It's because He gave it to us. We have dominion over this earth. We went against His ways, which brought in sin and death, which is actually what I'm going to today. I'm talking about this idea of our authority in Christ. And, and, and at a certain point, I'm going to read a bunch of Scripture and I almost just kind of want it to be a meditative exercise, you know, kind of a devotional for us, um, and, and not a lot of teaching in there, if I can, if I can control myself. <laughs> so let me, let, me, let me play this. This is, this is uh, just a Jordan Peterson quote, and, and some of you may have heard it, but at the, the, so the very, that's a Kenya video, at the, the very first um, thing he says, is the, the interesting thing about life. The, the video kind of cuts it off a little bit. So I'll try to, hopefully you can hear it. So the, the interesting thing about, y'all quit texting. Y'all are texting me in that group and I'm getting all these texts up here. <laughs> Whoever's texting me, stop it. Because <laughs> it said Adam. Oh, it's Glenn. Glenn's not feeling. Hey, Glenn, he's probably watching. We're praying for you. All right, uh, is Glenn watching? <laughs> Welcome to the living room. All right, so let's let's see if this works. Thing that's so interesting about being. Can you hear that? The thing that's so interesting about being alive is All right, that one, one more time. The thing that's so interesting. Sorry that's so interesting about being alive is that you're all in no matter what you do you're all in this is going to kill you so i think you might as well play the most magnificent game you can while you're waiting 
because do you have anything better to do? Why not pick the best thing possible that you could do? Because you're more powerful than you think. Way more powerful than you think. I mean, God only knows what you are in the final analysis. You're blind to your own weaknesses, but you're also blind to your own strengths. How far could you take that? If you stopped wasting time, and if you stopped lying, and if you oriented yourself to the highest possible good that you could conceive of, and you committed to that, how much good could you do? Well, I would say, why don't you find out? Why don't you find the highest good that you could possibly do and orient yourself to that? You're all in on this life thing. It's going to kill all of us. Nobody here gets out alive. So between now and then, and of course the believer doesn't taste death, right? We are delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. But on the way, why not? Believe for the highest good that you can possibly do. You know, the legalistic Christians are pretty good at this, but kind of water it down to you're just limited to your own strength. But it's like, you know what? With the grace of God active and alive and powerful in you, all things are possible. Are you, are you positioning yourself daily, even just in your own heart and your devotional life to God, to be challenged to experience the most good you can for your own life and affecting the world around us. Are you with me? Now, I'm not talking about just do good, do good, get good, do good, do bad, get bad, you know, try really hard in your own strength, be a good Christian. I'm not talking about your behavior. I'm talking about what we allow God to do through us. Again, we're just pushing it out there. So, Y'all ready? Because I've got a lot of scripture here that we're going to read. And we're, we're specifically talking about our authority in Christ. Now, actually, if you were here Wednesday, we walked through these same passages, but I just felt like it was just really relevant to walk through again. So use this as just kind of a, a, to stretch your heart a little bit. You know, understand that in this realm, in this earth, you have an impact in the world around us. So, so when I read this, I think of, like, what are the physics of the spiritual realm like? Like, I'm not just reading this from a religious, theological, doctrinal perspective. And I'm not even really necessarily reading it from a faith perspective. I'm reading it from the perspective of, so Jesus was walking in the earth. He needed to go over there. There happened to be water, a lake, you know, in the path of where he needed to go. And so just because he was so in tune with God that he starts to walk that way, this earth rearranged itself to support the intention of his own heart and where he was going. Like, I don't think water coagulating into hardness underneath his feet so that he could walk on it, or if he floated or whatever it is, I don't think he was breaking the laws of physics. And see, this is what we're saying. I'm going to give you a little physics lesson, you know, with me. They're, they're discovering now that there seems to be two sets of laws of physics. There's the Newtonian model, which is based on the standard model of physics, and then there's quantum physics. Newtonian says A plus B equals C, cause and effect. The quantum physics says we're not just observing creation. We're not just observing matter 
we are actually affecting matter. Human observation, belief, and choice affects how, the, how matter uh, rearranges itself. Now, you can go look up the double slit experiment and all these things. And So why am I talking about that? Because what it does to me is it shows me we're not just victims of this world. We're not just in this world and things are happening to us. We are actually affecting the world around us on a molecular level, the smallest level that you can imagine, the quantum level. You're impacting, the, the world is responding to us. That's why the world looks like it does. That's why there's hurricanes and death and disease because we broke off from God's way of living in this realm and us living apart from His guidance in this realm has impacted the world that it starts to break down and decay. We're in this state of entropy because we have diverted from God's leading and, it, and the effect on the created realm is it broke it and it's not, now it's trending toward death. But you look at Jesus and everything around Him was life other than death-minded religious thinking, which he would rebuke along the way. So, so when I read through these things, in my mind, I'm not trying to think of how do we get God to come here and do stuff? Because that's kind of this revival mindset that's out there. Let's fervently pray. Let's repent enough. Let's, let's convince God that we're sincere, and then he'll come and do something for us. Now, I'm not saying God's just sitting up there doing nothing. What I'm saying is there's an interaction. There's a collaboration with God. We are co-laboring with Christ in this earth. God could. He has the power to just do anything He wants to. But He's given us dominion over this earth, and He's working through mankind. And we, because we have diverted off of His ways, are putting you know, ungodliness into the created realm, and it's breaking it still. And it's, what we see is the effect of sin. Death is the effect of sin. And sin is you know, basically missing the mark, anything not of faith. Are you with me? So when I'm reading through these things, I'm thinking more so it's like, how do we live as spiritual physicists? <laughs> which, is, which I would think of Jesus in that term. I'm not trying to take out the realm of the supernatural. I'm not trying to put God in a box. I'm not trying to redefine anything. Just in my mind, in my thinking, I don't want to think Jesus was magic. I, like, I'm not just dependent. I don't want, I don't, you know, surely in this realm, there's a consistency to faith. There's a consistency to what is possible when we follow God. And that consistency has laws. And I'm not talking about give God a bunch of money and then you get a bunch of money. Like we have relegated the spiritual laws to, you know, it's been kind of like when we talk about spiritual laws, it's interesting how carnal they sound in terms of the effects of it. It's all physical stuff. But believers full of the Holy Spirit living in this earth, just, uh, just so even if you don't go outwardly in terms of seeing miracles and all that stuff, out, just, just inwardly imagine you experiencing to the fullest God's love for you and what it produces in your own mind and your heart and in your own life to where you are impervious to the world around you. I'm not saying nothing bad will ever happen to you. I'm just saying, no matter what, you walk in peace. No matter what, you're full of hope. No matter what, you are not afraid of anything. 
no matter what, you always expect to see God in your life. Are you with me? All right, so let's just read through these. And it's a lot, and we'll do this just, I think I can do it in about 15 minutes. Y'all believe that? <clears throat> Start the timer. Here we go. No squirrels. All right, so Matthew 28, 18. Um, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. W would you follow me through? It'll help, help it go. Um, so go therefore and make, so, th so this is the great commission, right? This is all of our, Jesus expects all of us to engage in this in whatever way God is putting you into the body of Christ. So go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, I lied for a minute because I do need to talk about baptism for just a second. <laughs> stay, stay on verse 19. <laughs> Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, when you think of that, what's the picture you get in your mind? Probably the words that are spoken over that person as you're dunking them and as you're bringing them up out of the water. And there are people that argue about what are the right words to say in that moment? May I suggest to you that this right here, being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, actually has nothing to do with water. Water baptism is an outward expression of this. And so what is this? This is an actual spiritual thing that happens to you, and that is being fully immersed in the authority of who the Father is and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So it's the death. It's the, it's the, it's the we were dead in our sin. It's, being, it's the being buried in Christ and being raised to newness of life. That's the baptism that's being spoken of right here. So to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is not the right words when you go under the water. It's a spiritual occurrence where you are actually immersed into Christ. You are forever hidden with Christ in God. And it's the fulfillment of the prayer in John 17 when Jesus prayed, Father, I pray that there is one as you and I are one and I'm in them and you're in me and we're in them together. And he paints just this beautiful picture of unity and oneness in Christ, all sealed up and united by the Holy Spirit. This is what we're talking about. To be fully immersed in the authority of Christ is what we're talking about. All right. If I do that on every one of these, we're going to be here forever. But so let me just keep going. You can keep going. So teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you. Say, so he is with me. Even to the end of the age. Amen and amen. So he has all authority and power and we are in him. That's the point of that. He's, he has all authority and power and we're in Him. So, Colossians 1.9. And, 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 and I'm not trying to create my own narrative. I just believe all these passages relate to one another. So, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, full-pleasing in Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthen, which Colossians and Ephesians actually are kind of like sister books. 
uh, people believe that they were written about the same time. They were probably circular letters. They're not as specific. And so you see, so this sounds like the prayer in Ephesians 3 toward the end there because those books are, you know, they're like sister books they call theologians. Notice that stuff. So strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered, say has delivered, us from the power of darkness. If you're a deliverance minister or if you're seeking deliverance, know that you have been delivered. Now, you may not be experiencing that in your life and in your heart and in your mind, but in the eternal aspect of who you are, which is who you really are, you already are delivered from that thing. You don't have to go in order and rearrange the spiritual dimension and enforce a legal action to then get it to you. You need to renew your mind, put on the new man, and walk in what's already yours. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated or conveyed us into the kingdom of his son. Say, I'm in his kingdom. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the, Im he is the invisible, uh, sorry, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are, now remember, he's got all authority and power. We're in him. By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities, powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body. Say, I'm in that body. The church. We are the church, uh, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And the last one. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So, that's, that's a passage that really, you know, you can, you can base your Christology on. In other words, who is Jesus? You go to Colossians chapter 1, and it defines who He is. He is the preeminent one. He is Lord of all creation. He is the agent through which God created. And we don't really fully understand all that, but He's also that through which everything is restored. And spiritually, it already has been, and we're in Him. Are you with me? All right, so let's keep going. This is uh, Colossians 2.11. In Him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. Now, I, I probably talk, I talk about this one passage quite a bit. I did a whole series on just this idea of this spiritual circumcision that you experienced. And God, you know, so circumcised people are always people of covenant with God. With, with Abraham, it was physical. With Jesus, it's spiritual. And what's circumcised or cut away as a mark of your covenant with God, or really it's Christ and the Father have a covenant and we are in Him. Christ upholds the covenant on our behalf. What's cut away from you is that root of sin or 
your sin nature. It talks about the flesh, sarks, which is mere human nature that was opposed to God and prone to sin. That was cut away from you. So in this earth, point being, as you walk around this planet, you're not a sinner. Now, you might commit acts of sin now, but in this earth, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're not a virus in the program of creation breaking and disrupting things. You're the, you're the remedy. You, you, are the, you are the vitamin of heaven injected into this earth because Christ is in you to be salt and light and to affect the world to reflect heaven. Your responsibility is to get your mind renewed to who you are in Him and not limit what He can and wants to do through you. It's, it's, it's radical when you think about it. You, are, you actually are a new creation in Christ. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, that phrase raised with him, it is talking about that you were dead in your sin and you've been raised to newness of life, but it's also talking about a seat of authority. Am I, is this clicking and going on and off? Um, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And now that's not talking about your body. That's talking about the spiritual nature. You could call it even your sinful nature has been removed. You don't have a dualistic nature anymore. I'm going to switch this battery. I think we're full. People believe that. Is he active? Of course he is. Did he make my battery die? I just, I don't, you know. <laughs> and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, that's the law. God is not judging you or relating to you based on your ability to do what He expects you to do. The law that the Israelites were under for the longest time, which was their part of the covenant to uphold, that determined their righteousness, was only given to point out the fact that you can't be righteous on your own. So Christ dealt with the law on the cross. He, he uh, became like you, to bear the full penalty of the curse of breaking the law on the cross and all the effects of sin also were put into him and he experienced all that on the cross. So on the cross, the standard that God held against humanity of perfection or living or obeying him as the standard of acceptance with him was put into Jesus and punished in Jesus for breaking it so that now God can relate to you based on relationship and not law. Should you continue in sin? No. no, God forbid. Sin will still kill you. But you keeping the law is no longer how God is relating to you. Now, the immature mind hears that 
and here's permissiveness. But somebody that's ready to actually live in this righteousness that we've been given in Christ, man, you want to live as worthy of that calling as you possibly can. You want to honor what he's done for you. Amen? All right, so where, where, where are we? Verse 14. Uh, having nailed it to his cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The enemy has no power. Remember, Jesus has all authority and power, which means somebody has no authority and no power. That would be the enemy. Now, is he still active? Is he still doing his thing? Is he still trying to deceive and lie and get us off guard? Of course he is, but Christ has all authority. We're in him. You have been delivered. The enemy can't touch you unless you're willing to believe his lies. Again, I'm pushing this out there. Let's just push it out there as far as we can get it to believe this is what's possible in Christ. This is what's possible in this life. Are y'all with me? You're more quiet than normal. Next one, Ephesians 2. But God, who is richly, uh, God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together. So that's that resurrected life we experience in Him. You were dead in your sin. Now you're alive in Christ because of the spiritual circumcision and being baptized, immersed into Him. You now live in Him. In Him you live and move and have your being. You're no longer dead in your sin. You're alive in Him. Amen? And, I, and like on Wednesday, I, I kind of put out this picture. It's like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, what does it mean to live in Him in the body of Christ? Imagine Jesus as a normal-sized human, and then just all of a sudden, He's 30,000 feet tall, and all of the believers in the world are in Him. And so Jesus is walking around in this earth, and we're all in Him, and it's Him living in the earth, but we're in Him also living with Him as He moves around. But we're individuals. We're separate living in this earth. But it's Him we're living in and Him living through us. Just go dream and meditate on that a bit, you know? He's in you. You're in Him. He's living through you. What does that look like? How does that change what you think is possible for you and what you can do in this earth? I'm not ready to give up and give it to the devil. I'm not ready to go hide and, and wait for the rapture. <clears throat> Raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's not just talking about being dead in your sin and raised to newness of life. That's also talking about the position of authority that you have in this earth. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. In other words, that's a, that's, a, that's, a th that's, a, that's a seat of power. That's a seat of authority. Having the same authority in this earth that Christ had has. Luke 10. Now we're going to look at a few specifics of Jesus. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, which, which happened when Jesus resurrected and carried his own blood into that heavenly holy of holies and cleansed it from defilement. He kicked out the accuser. 
You look at that in, in Revelation, is it 11? 12. Yeah. That, that's when Jesus resurrected. He kicked the enemy out of heaven. The, the, the enemy is no longer bending the ear of God, accusing you to him. Because Christ has cleansed that place from the presence of the enemy. He's in this place running around, seeking whom he may devour. But, but he is, he is uh, accusing you to you. Like God's not up there hearing all these records of wrong against you. He, he sees your sin. You know, some people teach, well, God no longer sees your sin. He doesn't remember your sin any longer, but he sees it. To remember it means he's thinking about it, he's holding, he's rehearsing it, he's holding it again. Of course he sees it. He's just not relating to you based on it in terms of your righteousness. He is certainly trying to correct you and lead you and guide you, and there may be some discipline, but the discipline is inward leading from the heart. So talking about authority, talking about our rights in this earth, we share the same authority as Christ, raised with Him, seated with Him. So, so Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Stay, stay there. Just think about that. This is Jesus. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, where do you go with that? Where do you go with that? What is your response? Pay attention to your thoughts. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. What are you thinking about? Are you disqualifying that statement? Are you qualifying it in terms of, well, yeah, but this, well, what that means? Are you with me? Or is it, there is a quality of life in Christ where nothing can hurt me. Now, that could be emotionally for you, but, but what does it mean for you? Where does your heart put the limitation on that statement by Jesus? Say, Jesus, Jesus. said that. Well, <laughs> are, are you with me? We're stretching. We're like, okay, I, I want to put it as far out there as possible and not put limitations on it and not walk it back based on my circumstances. Or think about what I need to do to jump into that spiritual realm and order things and try to, try to enforce things. You, you, don't have, you, you don't have to enforce anything in the spirit. You just benefit from it being in you. You know, a garden. You plant seeds. You don't have garden cops out there telling the seeds where to, what to. The seed knows what to do. You just try to keep the seed from getting choked out. And the seed's going to grow. You have the seed of the kingdom in you trying to grow every benefit of the kingdom into your life. I know. I mean, it's like, it's, it's hard to kind of think this way because what do we say? What is it? What, you know, I don't know what, you, I don't know. Uh, 
carnal Christianity has a problem with this type of thinking. And when I say carnal, I don't mean evil. I just mean more of a Newtonian. This is where I flip into Newtonian thinking is cause and effect. Quantum thinking relates to spiritual thinking. For me, all things are possible. I'm not limited by just the standard. In fact, the standard model of physics. That sounded real geeky. In fact, it's it's actually breaking down. They're saying we need a new model of physics because the old one doesn't account for what's happening in this quantum level. Does anybody else pay attention to that kind of stuff? Okay, yeah. I don't really understand it, but it's, it's interesting to me. Behold, I give you, so nothing shall by any means, or nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather... Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I think Jesus would say that to a lot of the charismatic churches that are trying to prophesy to everybody and trying to get everybody doing this. I mean, I think we should be experiencing radical miracles. I, I mean, I just, I just think that we should, absolutely, because Jesus did. And he said, he, you know, we would go and do the things that he did. But what we should really be happy about is that we're connected to the Father. We've got the Spirit of God on the inside of us. Are you kidding me? Oh, you need a miracle? Okay, fine. But I'm going to really enjoy my relationship with the Lord. Oh, you got this here. I'll give you a million bucks here. Just go pay for that. Oh, this is about the Father. Um, John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater then these he will do because I go to my Father. Now, this one here, you know, we can become offended at the Word, and this is a really great one to be offended at. Jesus says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What? Jesus. Are you, do you, did you hear what you just said? Because, you know, I prayed for 12 years for this, and it didn't happen. Don't, Jesus, don't you realize that depression is just my cross to bear? And no matter what, this is just how I'm wired, and this is how I am. It's just how I am. Don't you know that, Jesus? I just don't want to limit anything. I, I see where we are, and I see what Jesus said, and I, and I don't detach the two from each other and base them on me being having enough faith to get there. What I'm trying to do is clear away everything that makes me doubt that I already am fully complete in Him. And then to the degree that I am persuaded of that inwardly, it manifests as a reality into my life. And you see that in Abraham and Sarah, the father of the nation of Israel. God made a promise to them. And their story is all these things that they did to bring it about in their own strength that didn't work, in fact, created huge messes. But once they became persuaded in their heart, then they experienced what God had promised to them. And it wasn't because God said, oh, now you believe. It's like, 
You're almost there. Now I can give it to you, you know. <laughs> Finally. It's already in there. We are the, we are the limiting factor. It, you're not waiting on him to give you something. You got everything you ever need already on the inside of you. Let's just believe. Let it grow. Say, let it grow. <laughs> Whatever you ask in my name. Now, that's authority. In other words, what does Jesus have the authority to do? Ask according to what Jesus has the authority to do. That's what he's saying. But that's what, that's what that for name, the, 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 the word name means, authority. Ask according to what Jesus has the authority over and the authority to do. What does Jesus... And that's a, good, that's a good practical question to ask yourself when you're dealing with life. You keep, you keep running into this sin habit that just wrecks your life and steals all your confidence. You're struggling with this emotional thing. Something happened to you in your past and it just keeps creeping back up and defining you and you just kind of seem to relive that trauma over and over. You can't, you know, you just seem to always are broke. I mean, what, whatever it might be, ask yourself this question. What authority does Jesus have in this situation? What authority does Jesus have over this that I'm dealing with? Did he, did he deal with it on the cross? And that's where you go. You look to the cross. Did Jesus do anything about what I'm experiencing on the cross? Well, I see that he was, he was bruised for my iniquity. So he was punished for me breaking the law. Therefore, I can't go and say, well, I got a flat tire. God's judging me slightly to teach me a little bit of a lesson here. Why did that happen? What does Jesus have the authority to do in your life in the specific area that you're dealing with? What authority does Christ have over that? And then you ask with no limitations. Well, that kind of sounds like prosperity gospel. Pro prosperity gospel, because this gets accused of being called the prosperity gospel. Here's the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is actually very carnal and legalistic. It says... As I give, that, that predisposes God to have to give back to me. So it's this transactional understanding of, of Christian living. If I do this, then God will do this. That, that's the prosperity gospel. Now, I get it. The prosperity gospel also gets accused of, well, you're just saying that God wants you healthy and wealthy. Well, I'll take that accusation because he said, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Jesus pro or God promised to Abraham, your seed will ultimately be defined by those who are in Christ and that nation will be so blessed by God that you will be a blessing to the nations of the earth. I'll take the health and wealth aspect because I just so happen to believe that Jesus actually bore your diseases on that cross. So whatever you're going through, look to the cross. What is it that he did? What aspect of the life that I'm living right now and struggling through and having to deal with, 
What did he do about through, read through a lot of the exchanges that are defined? I don't even know if that's true, but it's in Scripture. And the atonement defines what Jesus paid for for me. So I'm going to renew my mind in the exchange. What is it that he has authority over? What authority does he have in this situation? And then, land, and, and orient yourself for the most that way. So orient your mind to believe and not limit the most good that you can experience from being in the kingdom of God. Well, yeah, but this happened. Well, then you can think carnally if you want. You can jump into that Newtonian thinking of cause and effect. It's observable. It's repeatable. There's a lot of science behind you believing, well, it doesn't work, or it's not as good as you say it might could be. There's a lot of science to, to validate that way of thinking. But spiritual thinking says all things are possible. And again, we're just, we're just stretching inwardly how we're thinking about the world, expecting the Holy Spirit to lead us along the way and teach us and guide us as we go. I'm not trying to pinpoint details, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to make it a little practical as we go. Where are we? Luke 14. We're almost there. <clears throat> and then he repeats himself. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. I love this just because, um, I don't know, there's just something about this little story here, this little piece. So, so at this moment here, Jesus um, has, it, it, it's, it's, you saw the part where Jesus says, I get, okay, we read it in, what was it, Matthew? Jesus told the 12, I give you power, now go and do it. They go out, they're living and doing all the stuff that Jesus gave them power to do, and then this happens. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. He didn't go to our school. He doesn't use the language that we... He doesn't use our system, our protocol. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't go to this church. He doesn't have the anointing of this apostle who laid their hand, you know, or, or whatever it might be. He didn't go to seminary or he didn't. Paul, John, John is the HOA board of the kingdom in this moment seeking to disqualify whoever this person is running around casting out demons. Like I've run through this in my mind, in my own imagination. This guy probably followed them around, watched Jesus do a lot of the things that he did, probably was so impacted by it. Maybe he heard somehow that the 12 had been given power. Maybe he's hiding behind a tree and he listens to them. Oh, he just, what? maybe that's for me too. I call this guy the 13th apostle. And it's interesting because right after this, then it goes into where Jesus gives the 70 power to go out and do so you got the 12, the dude in the middle, and then 70. Say, I'm the dude in the middle. I think that's why this was put in there, so that we would see it's not just the 12 and it's not just the 70. It's this nameless guy who did not even, was counted as a disciple, took it for himself before the 70 were given power, 
Because if you get technical with the theologians, they look at that kind of stuff, and he's just out there doing it. So it's for anybody who hears it and goes for it. And he says, I love this. Jesus said to him, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Don't forbid him, because if he's not against us, he's, if he's not against me, he's for me. I mean, it's just wide open in terms of who Jesus says this is for you. This is for you. And we have so many denominations that draw all these lines of limitation of what life can be like in Christ. I personally just want to take all... And none, none of us are living anywhere close to our potential. But like what this quote Peterson said, orient yourself to do the most good. You're going you're gonna to die. And what are you going to do between now and then? You may as well believe God at the furthest extent that you could possibly imagine because He says things like that. God, who is able to do through you exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or imagine according to the power that works in you. He said that. I was trying to fit a joke in there, but I couldn't help me on it. <clears throat> Sirens. So. But that's how I know when I'm done. <laughs> like my brain just turns off. But, but that, that's, that's personally, that's where I want to be. <coughs> I, 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 want, I want my heart to, because it, when it's that big, you know you can't do it. When it's that big, you're not tempted to depend on your own strength. You have to depend on working with God in your life. Now, you have decisions to make. You have a mind to renew. You have a heart to guard you have a possession of righteousness that has been given to you that you are to live in such a way that honors what you've been given. All of that is on you. Even that you do by grace, strengthened by Him, because you can't do it in your own strength. So yes, there is this Christian life to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to Him, and your behavior matters, but it's all reframed in the context of relationship. And then from there... Man, what's possible? What's possible? Because there's a lot of good that we can still do. Amen? Yeah. Let's stand up and just put your attention on him. And, I, you know, I don't know what you get out of this. I don't know uh, how this sits with a lot of us. So it, it's up to you to determine where you're going to go with something like this. You know, this is not just the most super practical thing that you can go take a step and put into practice. You kind of got to go wrestle with this stuff on your own. You kind of got to go wrestle with the idea of, yeah, what, what is it that I believe Jesus can actually do through me? And how can I orient myself to actually be used and lived through by Him? Are you with me? Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather we just thank you so much for uh, the word that you've given us that brings us to a place that we're challenged inwardly 
We're challenged in our minds and we're challenged in our hearts. Yes, of course, we want this to affect our behaviors. Of course, we want to we want it to affect those areas where sin may be wrecking our relationships and our lives. We want it to affect all the practical stuff, but we want to live in such a way that does not limit what you would want to do through us. We want to be fully submitted to your will. And even just make that decision in your mind and in your heart. I want to fully submit to your will, God. I don't want anything other than what you want for me and want to do through me. No limitations that you would be glorified, that you would be glorified. Father, people that are in this uh, room and watching and listening, I just thank you that, they're, that you're, that grace that's inside of us, that it's springing up, bearing fruit, giving us wisdom, giving us insight. You're teaching us in this moment of how to put this into practice. You're even touching our physical bodies. I, mean, I just thank you the healing is available. We open our hearts to experience the benefits of the cross. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your peace. Thank you that we have peace with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.